0: Listeners, it's time to catch up with Erin Falk. We are so excited to share an exclusive early look at Exiles, Jane Harper's newest Erin Falk thriller, with you. This time, Falk must find a missing mother who vanished on a balmy night at a neighborhood festival, leaving her new baby babbling in her stroller alone. Keep listening for an exclusive audio excerpt And if you like what you hear, you can find Exiles, wherever books and audiobooks are sold, on January 31st.
1: Prologue. Think back. The signs were there. What were they? They all asked themselves the same questions afterwards. How did it come to this? Could we have stopped it? That was the key one, Aaron Fork knew. And the answer was probably yes. Even with no warning, and there were warnings, the answer was almost always yes. A million decisions paved the road to a single act, and a single act could be derailed in any one of a million ways. But choices had been made, some conscious and considered, some less so. And of all the million paths that had lain ahead, this was the one they found themselves on. The baby was asleep when she was discovered. She was just short of six weeks old, a good weight for her age, healthy and well, other than being completely alone. She would have been warm enough deep inside her bassinet stroller. She was swaddled carefully in a clean wrap purchased from the state's leading baby wares retailer, and tucked in with an artisan wool blanket thick enough to have the effect of flattening out the bundle of her shape if placed in the right way. It had been placed in exactly that way. A casual glance towards the stroller would inevitably first see the blanket rather than the baby. It was a spring night and the South Australian sky was clear and starry with no rain forecast, but the weatherproof hood had been pulled over to full stretch. A linen square normally used as a sunshield was draped over the opening between the hood and the stroller. A casual glance would now not see the sleeping girl at all. The stroller was parked alongside a few dozen others in the Maralee Valley Annual Food and Wine Festival's designated stroller bay, fighting for space in the shadow of the Ferris wheel with a tangle of bikes and scooters and a lone tricycle. It had been left in the far corner, the foot brake firmly on. The contents of the bay were collected one by one over the next couple of hours, as families who'd been mixing wine, cheese and carnival rides decided they'd celebrated local produce enough for one night. By a little after 10.30pm, only the stroller and the assistant electrical technician's bike were left. The technician paused as he undid his combination lock. He looked around. The festival had officially closed half an hour earlier, and the sight was mostly clear now with only staff still around. The technician put his lock in his backpack, swept his eyes once more over the rapidly darkening grounds, then walked over to the stroller. He bent and peered under the hood, then straightened and pushed it all the way down. The swaddled bundle stirred at the rush of cool air as the technician pulled out his phone and made a call. The baby's name was written on the label of her onesie, Zoe Gillespie. Her family wasn't local, not anymore at least, but the festival director and the responding on-duty officer knew both her parents by name. Zoe's mother's phone rang from the diaper bag stowed in the shopping holder underneath the stroller. The tone trilled loudly in the night air. The zipped bag also held a set of car keys and a purse complete with ID, cards and cash. The technician ran out to the visitor's parking lot. A family sedan matching the make on the keyring was one of the few remaining vehicles. Zoe's father's phone rang a couple of kilometres away, in the foyer of the Marilee Valley's Better Italian restaurant. He'd waved off his own parents in a taxi and was now paying the meal bill while chatting to the owner and her husband, who both remembered him from school. He was showing them pictures of Zoe, his firstborn. And already six weeks old on Sunday, he could hardly believe it. And the owner was insisting he accept a celebratory bottle of sparkling wine on the house when his screen lit up with the call. The restaurant was a 15-minute walk from the festival grounds. The restaurant owner broke the speed limit that she herself had campaigned for to drive him there in just over three, slamming on the brakes right outside the main gate, He ran from there past the closed and darkened stalls all the way to his daughter's side. The site was searched. Zoe's mother, 39-year-old Kim Gillespie, was not found. Volunteers were assembled and the area was combed again. Then the parking lot, then the vineyards on either side. The stroller had been parked facing east, towards the back of the festival site and the overflow exit. Beyond the exit lay bushland and a small track that led only one way. The search moved along that track, following it all the way down to the reservoir. Then along the broad leisure trail that circled the water, empty at that time of night of walkers and service vehicles, to the highest point along the rugged embankment, a steep rocky ledge known locally as The Drop. Far below, the reservoir stretched deep and wide. Two days later they found a shoe. Kim Gillespie's white sneaker, waterlogged and streaked with sediment, was recovered more than a kilometre to the east, jammed in the dam's filters. Specialist divers were called to broach the crack in the base at the centre of the natural reservoir. They went as deep into the cavernous void as they could, while searchers swept the perimeter on foot and in ranger vehicles and volunteers combed the shallows in their weekend boats. The search continued for another week, then two, then slowed and finally stopped altogether, with promises to return when the water level dropped. Spring turned into summer and autumn. Zoe grew out of her stroller, took her first steps, needed shoes of her own. Her first birthday came and went. What did I see? Those who knew and loved the family were left with their questions. They asked themselves and each other, what did I miss? But Zoe's mother did not come back for her. Chapter One One Year Later Someone else was already there. Aaron Fork felt faintly, if unreasonably annoyed, as he pulled up next to the other car. The turnoff had been as hard to spot as he remembered, almost swallowed by the bushland towering over both sides of the road. It was so well concealed, in fact, that Fork had blithely assumed that what was waiting at the other end of the track would be his alone. Not so, he could see now as he touched the brake and suppressed a sigh. Fork hadn't been alone there last year either. Greg Rako had been in the passenger seat then, Fork following his friend's directions as they neared the end of their eight hour drive. Rako had ignored the sat nav, especially after they crossed the Victorian border into South Australia. His high spirits had been infectious, and they'd chewed through the kilometres, taking turns trading news and picking the music. Reiko's newborn son was being christened that weekend, in the same church where Reiko and his brothers had been themselves several decades earlier. His wife and two kids had already made the trip and were waiting at the other end, but Reiko's sergeant duties had held him back. He was clearly keen to be reunited with them, so Fork had been surprised when he'd suddenly leaned forward in the passenger seat peering at the empty road and pointing to a patch of trees. You see that break ahead turn there? They had still been a good thirty minutes out of town and Fork could see nothing. The stretch of bushland had looked identical to the rest lining the route. Where? There, mate. Fork had still missed it, and had had to illegally reverse several metres before he saw the single-lane track. He'd eyed his car's suspension. What's at the other end? Quick detour, Rayko had grinned. Trust me, it's worth it. He'd been right. It had been worth the stop, both then and now. With no Reko beside him this year, Fork had slowed to an almost crawl and still managed to slide past the turnoff. He'd caught it in his rear-view mirror and, again reversing further than ideal even on a clear road, had bumped up the track that looked like it led exactly nowhere. At the end was a small clearing and one other car, Fork came to a stop and switched off the engine. He sat for a moment, staring ahead to where the heavy bushland parted. The sky was a bright dome, glowing with the vibrant blue of spring. Nestled below was an intricate patchwork of greens that made up the Marilee Valley. Fork had felt last year that the view had been all the more beautiful for being so unexpected. But now, lit up by the late afternoon sun, it was even better than he remembered, if anything. He climbed out of his car and stretched, the movement stirring the owner of the other vehicle. The man was standing a sensible distance from the lookout's wooden safety rail. He was also staring out at the view, but his arms were crossed in a way that suggested he was taking in none of it. A child's sippy cup dangled from one hand, and behind him, a sturdy toddler sat straight-legged on the wooden picnic table, scattering a box of sultanas across the battered surface. At the sound of Fork's car door slamming, The man unfolded his arms and rubbed a hand over his eyes. He turned and handed the cup to the toddler. He was the husband. The recognition came to Fork all at once, followed by a jolt as he realised the little girl now smashing a fistful of dried fruit towards her mouth must be Zoe Gillespie, who up until this moment had remained frozen in his mind at six weeks old. The man nodded at Fork, and as his daughter swallowed her last mouthful, He hoisted her up and carried her to their car. He seemed to sense he'd been recognised and his body language didn't invite questions or conversation. Fair enough, really, Fork thought. The bloke would have had plenty of questions thrown his way at the time. The husbands always did. You're here for the christening. The man spoke suddenly, catching Fork by surprise. He'd stopped between the two cars and looked a little relieved like he'd worked something out that right, for the Reiko's son? Yeah. Kim Gillespie had been part of the extended Reiko family for close to 25 years, Falk knew, Since that long-ago autumn afternoon when she'd first ridden her bike past the Reiko's house, teenage ponytail swinging, until the night last year when she'd disappeared under the bright festival lights. The christening had been immediately cancelled after Kim went missing. It had taken the Rako family a full 12 months to reschedule. Fork took a step towards Kim's husband and child and held out his hand. Aaron Fork, Rowan Gillespie. Did we, mate? Only briefly. Rowan was nearly as tall as Fork, and while he would only be 42 now, he looked to have aged a fair bit over the past year. You here for the christening too? Fork asked. Yeah, well, no, the appeal actually. Rowan looked tired as he fastened his daughter into her car seat. But we'll go to the christening as well. When's the appeal happening? This evening, festival grounds. Festival opens tonight? Yeah. Good time to do it. I hope so. Rowan clicked the seat buckles and patted his daughter's leg. He turned back to fork. I thought you looked familiar when you pulled up. Greg Rako's mate, you were on the witness list? Yeah. Rowan tilted his head, trying to remember. Remind me, near the entrance? The Ferris wheel. Rowan nodded as he thought back. Yeah, that's right. Fork was surprised the man remembered him after a year, but only a little. Fork had been a visitor in town, one of hundreds but still worth following up. Rowan had probably flagged Fork's presence to officers himself. There was another bloke there, tall, 40-something, short hair, grey blonde, maybe. Friend of the Rako's, but on his own, kind of hanging around. Dredging up whatever information he could hours after the fact. You're police too, aren't you? Rowan tucked the sippy cup in next to Zoe before shutting the car door. That how you know Greg? Yeah, but we don't work together. I'm AFP, Financial Division. He's with the State Police back in Victoria. Right. There was a muffled wail of complaint from inside the car and Rowan sighed. Anyway, better keep this one moving. Good to see you. You staying at the Raco's place? Yeah. Then I'll probably see you at the appeal. They'll all be there. Probably. I hope it goes well thank you. The reply was reflexive and Fork recognised the apprehension. It was exhausting to keep Hope alive. How well could a missing person's appeal really go after twelve whole months? There were no good answers left out there. Fork watched Rowan reverse and disappear down the track, then walked over to the barrier. He leaned both hands on the railing and let himself relax for a minute, soaking up the sight in front of him. Light wisps of cloud moved across the sky, throwing delicate patterns of shadow below. From that height the town looked small, its surroundings vivid and lush. Long rows of grapevines stretched out, their man-made perfection drawing the eye. Far in the distance he could make out the aggressively imperfect crack where part of the giant Murray River carved its way through the land. Rowan had the look of a man who did not sleep well, Falk thought as he let his gaze settle. That wasn't surprising given the circumstances, plus the demands of parenting a one-year-old. But still, Fork wondered what specifically was keeping the guy awake at night, in those hours when he could be snatching some precious rest. A few things, probably. The statement from that young bloke had been manning the first aid station, for one. What the kid reckoned he had, or more crucially, hadn't seen. A couple of the alleged sightings, almost certainly. The drunk woman at the bar, maybe the crying heard from the toilets. Confirmed or not, those were the kinds of things that played on your mind. Falk took one last look at the view, then dragged his eyes away and walked back across the clearing. He climbed into his car and checked the directions for the last leg of the journey. Most likely, Falk guessed as he started the engine and reversed carefully, Rowan Gillespie spent those dark early hours trawling through the choices he himself had made that night. That short stretch of time in which his movements remained uncorroborated definitely. How long had the gap been? Falk tried to remember. Not huge. Eight minutes? Seven? Either way, long enough to cause headaches for the spouse of a missing woman. The decision Rowan had taken to leave the festival. That moment when he'd waved goodbye to his wife and child and turned alone in the direction of town heading into the night. The hours leading up to that moment. The days and months leading up to that night. Those things that you didn't even notice at the time. Little decisions that ultimately added up to something so much bigger. Fork edged his car along the narrow trail, emerging from the trees and back onto the road. He turned the wheels west and pressed down on the accelerator. Those were the decisions that lingered, he thought, glancing over as he flashed past a temporary billboard, its colours bright against the green bushland. The Marilee Valley Annual Food and Wine Festival had told him, just 30 minutes ahead. The little things you could have done differently, that was the stuff that haunted you.
0: Exiles, by Jane Harper, is on sale January 31st. To hear more, pre-order now, wherever audiobooks are sold. We'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening.